the last time I saw you, you said you had some kind of anybody can apply. Anybody can just join your sales as long as they can sell. Uh, yeah, man. He was like, if you if you sell a ATM, uh, then I'll give you the job. And, you know, I got I kind of started getting some regaining some faith in myself. I went back into hustler mode and I sold two coin flip ATMs, a.k.a. Bitcoin cryptocurrency ATMs where you insert cash and then you get crypto. I, I went to the office and him and Chris Dayrit, the CMO, were like, well, man, you know, I don't even think I really need to interview you because you, you sold two ATMs. So I think I think you got the job. And I was like, wow, I was like, I thought I was working for a really innovative company and da 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 da. But I was yet to accept that I had bipolar. Dope. Boom. We're live. Round We're two. Rolling. Round two. So Round two. We already did this once. <laughs> and uh, luckily for Matt, he came in as soon as we got new equipment. So I knew this was going to happen. I didn't know what the severity would be, but we lost a few episodes. So it's all good. No. I, I, told, I told the guests that, that uh, the ones that we lost, they could, you know, they're welcome to come back. I don't charge anything to get on. So just cost them their time and maybe their gas money because I make them come in person. But <laughs> well, for me, because I don't have a car, so it's it's pretty out the way to come here. But I have enough respect for you and the yeah. show and uh, everything you got going on. So I'm like, man, if we got to redo it, we'll redo it. <laughs> Dude, I was like, <laughs> I think there was like one or two others where we're going to have to redo. And the one dude lives in PA. And then uh, I, I, there might have been another one where we lost the audio. So I mean, what happened to a couple episodes? Yeah, oh, so man. two or three. Yeah, so we weren't the only one. So it was, it, we had to break the news to everybody. Uh, the the equipment's worth it though. So like now everything's recorded into one device, uh, the audio, and then we're able to switch and everything. So it's like it minimizes the editing. So as we scale the podcast, we'll be able to eventually, you know, basically just be like Rogan. We'll be able to pump out three four episodes a week, and it not be a lot of strain on uh, Aiden. Cause I, you know, he's probably not getting paid whatever Jamie gets paid. <laughs> so I don't know what, what Rogan's editor or, you know, podcast dude gets paid, but it's probably not what Aiden gets paid. I mean, I've been there on the other end of the content side. A lot of my background is in media. I never really wanted to be a media person, but I yeah. used it for as different like tools and to open doors. And there's so much logistics with, that goes into content, especially as you want to like upscale the quality of the content. It, yeah. it goes from really simple to really complicated, really fast. So I understand yeah. what Aiden's got going on. Yeah, I wish everything was wireless and, uh, you know, just... Real simple and easy, but it is what it is. I'm I'm excited. I love the process. I love uh, to look back and look where we started. And you know, I'm I can't wait to have all this footage in ten years from now. I'll be like, Jesus Christ! I can't believe we had all that horrible footage and we just sounded so scripted and weird. So hell yeah, man! It's a it's a great thing to document <laughs> your process and to, yes. Is, is, are there any? Well, let me throw a question at you. Are there any other ways that you like to document what you do? And uh, where do you, how do you like make sure that you're keeping track of uh, all of that social media, like everybody yeah. else. I like yeah, true. I like how social media incorporates memories. I'll use Facebook memories a lot. You know, like I'll, I'll share with my my team and my company. You know, because I've posted pictures on Facebook and you know Instagram and you know mm -hmm. Snapchat, whatever it might be, just all the different social media platforms. And I'm able to kind of like look back and and then utilize and leverage those for my own um, reminiscence, but also for for inspiration to 
you know, the company and to the business and, you know, showing individuals where it's like four years ago, I was selling insurance to now I own an insurance company. So it's like right, right. somebody can have that same exact opportunity if they're willing to do the same work and have the same mindset. You know, I mean, to, to humble myself, most most people wouldn't have the uh, attention or interest to do this. But if anybody, let's say tomorrow I became more of like a celebrity figure, if someone were to go through my Instagram and, you know, view each post and look at like who is tagged in it and what the, what's in the post and stuff like that, you could see a really clear like journey of yeah my life yeah. and I and I've done that on purpose because I, I, I kind of like the art of figuring out how to tell the story of your life through yeah. media portraying your life through yeah, media yeah. it's dope media, media is invaluable you know what I mean I, I hope I hope it never gets completely obliterated I don't like you know just, just how some things are shadow banned and, and people aren't able to voice their opinions I feel like even though things are extremely hateful and even being on the opposite end of that being mixed you know what I mean? It's like there's definitely some things where it's like, you know, I'm not going to want to be on the other side of racism. But at the same time, I think I believe people deserve to voice what it's freedom of speech. You know what I mean? You want to say it, say it. I, I think if someone says something really bad th- that they should be able to say it so that people can have a dialogue around it. Like, yeah. if you're going to say something hateful, at least don't suppress it because then it becomes this insidious, like unspoken, unvoiced thing that, uh, you know, expresses itself in other other ways you know if they can't say something on social media they're going to still act some way in the world so as long as people could have a dialogue about it i think and i've never defined myself by people's opinions yeah yeah. at least they're negative ones (laughs) 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 maybe the positive ones like oh yeah you're right you're right i am a boss (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh all right dope so let's let's jump into the story again so where were you born and raised let's start there Sure. So uh, I was Isn't born. Isn't that pillow so annoying? Why? Because it has the these little things poke, come out They of it. poke you. <laughs> it's a little. So it pokey, starts with yeah. poking and then you pull it out and it's a feather and it's soft. It's interesting. Like if you rub against like the, the tips, they're like hard. They like poke. Yeah. Yeah. It, did, it was a little bit uncomfortable, but it's yeah, also like, soft. It's yeah. And then they get your attention. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like what kind of pillow is this? <sighs> so you're born and raised? So I, I was born and raised in uh, High Park, which is on the south side of Chicago. It's actually where uh, Vic Mensa is from. And who's Vic Mensa? Uh, a Chicago-based rapper. Okay. So he's you know he's close with people like Chance. Yeah. And all all the Chicago. I saw people. on somebody's story we had a uh, gentleman on. What was his name again? Aiden that uh, edited the uh, oh, uh, James Webb. James Webb. Yeah. So I saw on his story, it looked like he went to like some metal concert down in uh, the city. I would imagine down in Chicago. I don't know if you checked out his Instagram story. Yeah. But uh, Action Bronson was there too. Isn't he a rapper? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Action Bronson is, I, I love people who uh, do s- completely separate career things and figure out a way to blend them. So Action Bronson had this like documentary series where he would be on tour, but it was really about food as if he was like yeah. Anthony Bourdain, but then he would mix in the performances into the episodes. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Creative. Yeah, I thought that was creative. Yeah, yeah. Dope. So grew up in Hyde Park. That's where Vic Mance is from. Yeah, I grew up in Hyde Park. My mom and uh, to this day, my grandma, my mom grew up and to this day, my grandma still lives in South Shore, which is where Kanye and G Herbo and yeah. various other people are from, which is just a few like miles. What south nationality of, was your mom? My mom is... Uh, White, mostly white. She's one fourth Indian. <laughs> Which white? <laughs> so did, there's so many whites. I, a lot of Irish and uh, some German and stuff like that. And and then my my grandmother, who she still lives there, and uh, 
my mom doesn't like talking about that because they don't really have like the best relationship, which is this whole other story. And my mom even hearing if she mom, if you're watching this right now, I'm so sorry I mentioned that. I'm not gonna mention that anymore. Wait, uh, what are we not mentioning? About your mom? <laughs> my mom's relationship with her okay. mom is like really Ro fuck, rocky. Rocky, yeah. yeah. That's how my but, mom uh, is with hers. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, what, what was the the question? Oh, my that, mom's yep. ethnicity, Did, like Irish. Uh, I think some Polish. Um. My dad grew up in a small town called Granby in Massachusetts, and uh, it's just a super small, quiet town, kind of close to Boston. Mm. I mean, I visited there once with him. There's not much going on out there. Uh, and then he met my mom here in Chicago when he uh, went to school at uh, the University of Chicago. Dope. And then where's he from? Ethnicity. My dad is also a little Irish. He's a Poli a lot more Polish, Lithuanian. Um, and a little bit of everything stuff. Yeah, I'm like a European met with with a with a with a slight uh, spice of Indian. Yeah. Okay. Slight sprinkle is a better. Yeah. For, yeah. Okay. I feel it. I feel <laughs> one eighth. So I don't ever. I don't go telling people I'm Indian, but I often when people ask about my ethnicity, mention the Indian in it as like a fun fact yeah. because my great grandfather immigrated from Southern India, so super dark. Oh, you're talking about actual India. Yeah, yeah. Not India, Native India, American. not Native American. Yeah, oh, okay. India, India. I was yeah. like, I think we're all Native American. <laughs> <laughs> India, India. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kerala is where yeah. my great grandfather came from. Dope, bro. That's dope. Unique. So, who were you closest with growing up? I think you said your dad or your mom. No, I was I was definitely like a mama's boy growing up, but yeah. I was very close with both my parents. Uh uh how do I explain? So, I've always been really close with my parents, but I've always felt this very like very fiery independence and need to distance myself from them in order to grow and evolve and grow up in in a way that I felt like was the best fit for myself. So they all they were always there and, and gave me like the proper love and support, which I really appreciate. But in a lot of ways, I also saw them, you know, not necessarily like their jobs and uh, uh, not necessarily be positive all the time. And a lot of different things that I noticed that I was like, People tend, there's, you know, people talk about their parents being the bestest of role models. And so I, there's a few aspects of what my parents have shown me, like uh, knowing how to, you know, appreciate and love and love your child and let them be who they are. But then there's other aspects that I feel like I noticed and I, I didn't want that to rub off on me as much. So yeah. it's a, it's complicated. I'm still thinking, I'm actually thinking about it a lot over the past few days, my relationship with my parents and like, meditating on it in my head in a way so kind of processing like the yeah, things you yeah. want to do the things you like the things you don't like yeah, yeah things you want to like take into your life so from growing up and transitioning into that high school phase when you start to kind of find yourself what was that like that was interesting because I, I grew up in high park up until i was about 14 and when i went to high school coincidentally at the same time we moved from high park up to north park which is on the other side of the city basically and uh but during that phase of like teenage years, I explored the whole of Chicago because uh, I, I throughout my life up to that point. Was and it even, safe to do that? <laughs> it depends on who you ask. Yeah. Some people would say that the way that I explored Chicago at the end of the day wasn't that dangerous because I didn't really put myself into situations that were that crazy depending on who you talk to. But other people who may not have the kind of background of 
you know, really exploring Chicago like that would would say that I definitely uh, they, they put, put myself at risk in various ways that I didn't need to, which I kind of disagree with because uh, anyway, I feel like I could go on about that for a long time. But the point is I explored a lot of Chicago throughout my whole life. I literally have met people from, you know, being born to uh, teenage years uh, from everywhere in the city and I've been to all kinds of corners of the city. There are various places that I never stepped into because there's just like not really any reason I would have gone there necessarily. Um, yo, oh, I'm on a podcast. Yo. Yo, yo. Oh, real quick, Tristan. Do you know if when an essay gets promoted, do they have a grace period in regards to how long? 30 days. Every every position typically has a thirty day grace period. What Tristan's gotta you know Tristan's gotta make things make the gears continue to continue to run. So when they need questions answered, I understand. I've been. There. I thought it'd be cool to like. <laughs> I've been there to intercept it. Oh, I'm not growing this out. I've just wanted to grow it out just enough to shave it for my birthday, so it looks my face looks good shaved. Wait, so if <laughs> it's real time business, huh? guys. Real time business going down. The company's got to run. Yeah, so he won't need a code. He won't need a code this month or the fall. So if he got promoted, whenever his contract goes into effect, the following month is his grace period. So technically, he wouldn't need the code until November. Yes. Yes. Love. Peace. Thought it would, I thought it would be cool. I he's a talker, though. I should have known that. I was like, oh, that'll be cool. No, no worries. We could answer something, and it'd be kind of cool and interesting. But he's a talker. I should have known that. And if I could say one little thing about Chicago, like, uh, historically, Chicago is extremely segregated. So basically, the north side is, like, white, and the I can south feel side is black. Yeah, I can feel You can feel, feel, feel it. There's a real racial tension. I actually uh, have been listening to the audiobook, the memoir of Richard Williams, the father of Serena and Venus Williams. Uh, I think I saw you put that on your story. And you know what's crazy? This guy is a remarkable guy. Literally before they were born, he wrote a 70-page manual and predicted and created the goal of having two daughters who would be the champions of tennis in the world. And it happened. Like, how? what are the chances of that? Like, he didn't even know if he'd have daughters. Yeah. And that his whole life story is really crazy. But he grew up in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, where like he literally picked cotton. And at one point he came to Chicago uh, thinking that it would be better. And he said the kind of treatment and tension he felt in Chicago was worse yeah. than Louisiana, which is the crazy. The further north you go, it's a, the delivery is more direct. I grew up in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So even if you experience racism, it's a, it's a, it's a southern hospitality racism. Mm. You know what I mean? Where north there is no hospitality you know what i mean with it you know what i mean it might be sandwich more subtle kind of sinister form yeah it's very direct you know what i mean like so going from arkansas to the yes ma'am no ma'am yes sir no sir to into pennsylvania where i spent the other other half of my childhood where it was very direct you know what i mean that and you 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 learn to appreciate both because they they show you and formulate and develop and mold you into you know, different, different, a different type of individual where you can adapt to different environments. I think the best, the most valuable person I feel like is a chameleon, somebody that can adapt to every environment. Because mm-hmm. you got to be able to sell. Mm. You know what I mean? You got to sell yourself, sell your ideas. You know, that's regardless very much of, how I feel. I feel like I'm, I'm the ultra, I'm the pinnacle of chameleon. I'm chameleon on steroids. <laughs> but a lot of people look, look at that, or, or they'll. Uh, 
Can we edit in a picture of a chameleon on steroids? <laughs> Can we have somebody edit a picture of a chameleon on steroids and just put it in right right in this moment? <laughs> People who know me, like you know my 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 real close friends, who I have a lot of. When I when they when I say that they know what I mean because they also they've met a lot of my other friends they understand that my friends are very wide ranging in like background and mentality and like I have people I have friends on the far left and the far right and yeah. and every race and every kind of mm-hmm. uh, industry and discipline and, yes uh, and and I can relate to all of them in some shape or form I don't have to agree with everything that they believe in to be their friend yeah. I think that's ridiculous whichever one you're with just tell like, them what they want to hear I, I don't know about that. <laughs> 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 but um, uh, wh- wh- where I was going with this initial thought of Chicago being extremely segregated is that there are a few pockets of Chicago that are actually extremely integrated, one of them being Hyde Park. Yeah. So when I grew up as a child, I was like three, two, three, four years old, surrounded by every kind of race and, e- race and ethnicity. And I think that did something to my brain psychologically and developmentally that was really profound and healthy for me because it helped me be a chameleon in a more genuine and authentic and unforced way as I got older because of all that early exposure to all these people and especially because the University of Chicago is there not only was it very ethnically American diverse but there was often people from other countries uh, whose families were there involved in the school in some way so it was very internationally diverse as well and I grew up with people who were there from Korea or Japan for a few years and became friends with them while they were there and Mm. all type of stuff like that so I think Hyde Park is maybe my favorite neighborhood in chicago this is not really good for nightlife and stuff like that for but real? for like what's cafes. your where do you live in lincoln, lincoln park how close is that to hyde park kind of far no it's kind of, it's kind of far it's not that is far. lincoln park safe at night yeah. 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 <laughs> High Park is also pretty safe at night. High Park is kind of High Park I like to say is a hood sandwich because anywhere north, south or anywhere north, west or south is the hood. Okay. And uh but Hyde Park is this and once in a while she will go down in Hyde Park but for the most part Hyde Park is like you know, it I'm like- not from the hood like I can never claim I'm from the hood like my background was sweet, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Absolutely. And when I say sweet, I'm I'm using like the slang terminology. Yeah, yeah you're using. Like a, I, trust me, I'm gonna have black. I know what sweet means. <laughs> Hell yeah, you talking to the choir. So uh, I just saw you went on an international trip. So where all did you go, and what was that for? Yeah, I, I was just in Turkey, and uh, I went with my Turkish friend who was born in Antalya. He looks like and acts like he's a typical white American guy, but he's yes. a full-blown Turkish dude. And uh, he grew up in a place called Antalya in Turkey. And uh, his fa- his grandma and his uncle still live there. So we went to stay with them for a week. Okay. And I went with him and I went with my friend Mirza Bey. Shout out to Mirza Bey. He's a lead developer at uh, Cash Drop, one of the faster growing st- Businesses yeah, in I'm trying to right get now. I'm trying to get him on Ruben? my I'm trying to get Ruben on yeah, my podcast. Yeah, Ruben, bro. come on, Ruben, come on, man! I just interviewed Ruben recently for the first episode of my own rebranded podcast. Yes, dude, tell uh, me to get on my podcast, <laughs> please. <laughs> but uh, uh, so Mirza and Ali and uh, there's another guy's name is Gabe Tavis. That's my, the OG startup crew from high school. So in high school, I w- worked on all type of wacky ideas with these wacky young people and. Uh, 
a lot of those guys is who are who I just went to Turkey with. Gabe Tavis, who didn't go but wanted to go, has been in the midst of building his brand called Symmetry Wood. Okay. This guy is literally taking uh, bacteria goo, cellulose, and he's making it into artificial wood so that you don't have to cut down trees. That's so dope. You know, like Beyond Meat? It's like Beyond Meat, but the wood version. Yeah, Beyond Wood. Be- <laughs> I can make such a horrible joke right now. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Gabe. That's my homie from the day one. Listen, stand up comedians, please make a beyond a beyond wood a beyond wood bit. We be having so many. I'm gonna be a stand up comedian, dude. Like, how did my mind I, even? I, like, I want to be a stand up comedian too. Right? We got to go to an open mic or something. And some uh, James Webb is telling us we got to just go and and do an open mic. I was I was watching. I had Dan Dan Cass on my podcast. Shout out to Aiden. He gets these comedians to come on. And uh, I, they had this roast session on his on his uh, IG, and some old dude is on there, and then there's this younger dude, and this old dude says this wordy joke. It's a wordy joke, and this fucking dude looks at him, and he's like, that's fucking wordy, in front of the whole crowd, and everybody starts breaking out laughing. I'm like, that wasn't even that funny. And he looks at the dude, and the dude's wearing, like, a horrible outfit, and he's wearing, like, this black plaid shirt, and the dude looks like he's 50 years old, and he's wearing, like, olive green khaki pants, and he's like, green pants black shirt old navy and like drops the mic and i'm like what the fuck everybody starts laughing and i'm like just and it, you can tell it's like a stand-up comedian like circle and uh, like it's like and, and so like they just have this vibe with these raunchy jokes i'm like that is so hilarious not yeah, yeah. hilarious but hilarious and the fact that everybody just cracked jokes like that it's so cool I, I, I recommend getting some comedians in your circle Oh, yeah. That's interesting because funny enough, I, I know people who do some comedy skits and stuff, but I don't know any straight up comedians who I would love to meet because I love watching stand up comedy. So good. So good. It's one of my favorite pastimes. Yeah. Because you just laugh. You like, just laugh. you just laugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my two, I would say my two favorite stand up comedians, and I kind of put them. At like probably like an equal level are is Dave Chappelle and Trevor Noah. Trevor yeah. Noah is a funny fucking guy. That yeah. guy is so, f- and so is Dave Chappelle. Yeah. I got to give it to both of them. I've watched almost every single, as far as I'm concerned, I've watched every uh, Trevor Noah and Dave Chappelle special that exists because I've tried to find as many as I could watch. Yeah. They're just, man, funny stuff. Dope. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the dopest part of Turkey's culture? Uh, Turkey is really interesting. So for one, uh, it's like a 24-hour petting zoo. There are uh, cats and dogs everywhere, stray cats and dogs everywhere. But they're all docile and they're all integrated into the society so that no one bats an eye at this at all. And they seem to generally be kind of clean and they're not really angry and they're not going to attack you. So there were many drunk nights I was walking I love how you're describing them as like they're like a subhuman species. (laughs) They were really because think I'll I'll give you an example. I was sitting in a like a public ass cafe in a really populated area and this big dog just walks into the cafe boom lays his body on the ground starts sleeping and no one gives a fuck they just let the dog like sleep in the middle of the cafe and then whenever he's ready to walk out he'll walk out and shop owners will put out like food and water for the random stray cats everywhere in random corners anywhere you go so they kind of like just live with these animals like they're their homies and Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> That's hilarious. So that was, was that your favorite piece? I don't know if it was my favorite piece. What was my favorite part about Turkey? I'm not sure. Uh, 
I'm not sure. I've still been thinking about that. People have been asking me. The culture is interesting. You know, luckily, it's not like Chicago where people are fucking shooting each other left and right and dying that way. But there's a lot of street fights. Yeah. More than I've ever seen. Like, more than I've ever seen when I would go out on a typical night. Are they bilingual or is it just Turkish? Just Turkish. That was one thing. Is you know there are a lot of countries in the world. Uh, people generally speak English. I'm gonna look up Turkish Turkey, translator to no. see what some of this shit sounds like. I'll tell you. I I, it w- I spoke no Turkish going into Turkey. And yeah, thank you. Definitely you have to know a little it's bit. It's a difficult word in Turkish. Saying thank thank you in Turkish is teşekkür ederim. And it took that me sounded like really fucking good. <laughs> and it took me like a few a few days to finally remember that and get that right. I remember they have like at the um, uh, currency exchange booths in the airport, they have like attractive girls there so they can kind of like sell you. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's like the short version, the informal one. And there's teşekkür ederim and there's çok teşekkür ederim, which is like thank you very much. And Turkish is not necessarily was not an easy language for me to pick up. I've pe- I actually I speak Japanese. That's the only other language. Like I fluently. Oh yeah, I remember mm-hmm. you did school in uh, Japan, right? On one of the islands. Oh, I, I know. Uh, yeah, on an island called Miyakojima. Okay, yeah. Like, did that get you like into anime? Is like that. That's like all they do, <laughs> right? No, I, I was pretty into anime before I went to Japan. But then, for whatever reason, I got really into Japanese culture. Uh, as a like a young young kid, as like an early teenager, Dragon because, Ball Z. Yeah, there's something about Everybody anime. Like there's Ball just Z. this like fighting spirit about anime that I got yeah. really into as a kid. Just like the effervescence of like you are gonna constantly improve and become the best and beat each progressively more difficult enemy and challenge. And there's yeah, just Dragon something Ball Z. about that narrative. Is that, that every anime? That's almost every anime. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just thought I, like I've only watched <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, so I'm like, it's like every. Anime. I was like, he's describing Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> the next level of Super Saiyan. It's like, yeah, all yeah, right, exactly. Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Did you get into Dragon Ball Z, Aiden? Yeah, I saw most of it. All right, cool. Do you watch the new movie, the Dragon Ball Z movie? Ah, uh, I, I haven't watched anime in a long time, but I would binge watch that stuff as a as like when I was like 10, yeah. 11, 12, or just sit in the computer room and watch as many episodes as I could of Dragon Ball, Naruto, and Full Metal I would have watched that shit if I knew all the street fights in Turkey. <laughs> that shit would have had you ready. You know what I mean? You would have been ready to go. Man, no, I'd walk in random alleys and some guy would be chasing a dude. They'll pick up random stuff off the street and start beating each other. And <laughs> at one point, we're walking around the public area and this guy's just like, hula, hula! Like kidding, kicking this dude. He's bleeding from his face. I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, Ali, what is he saying? He's like, why did you look at my wife that way? That's what he's saying. I was like, damn. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so, what's their religion in Turkey? It's Islam. Is okay. So I could see now. Do they have to wear the hijab? Am uh, I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. You're saying that okay. right. Well, there's that's ma- the first time I probably said it right. Compared to a lot of other Muslim countries or countries in the Middle East, Turkey has like one of the lower uh, percentages of like hijab wearing. Like there's a lot more girls in in Turkey that don't wear hijab, but it's still like without a doubt a super super Muslim country. For example, in almost all Muslim countries, and in Turkey, every morning, you know, at the first uh, in in Islam, you pray five times yes. a day, and at the first prayer of the morning, which is sometime between like five thirty and six, if I'm not mistaken, based on my memory, can they ever sleep in? Here, I'll tell you, it's it's like a neighborhood alarm clock. The local mosque at f- every day 
Allah. I boom, wake up. I'm like, we may have Whoa. To edit that out. No, no. <laughs> every, Mus- every Muslim person, <laughs> won't, no Muslim person should, should be rightfully offended by that because they <laughs> all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they all- the highlight that we make from this, I just want it to be 10 <laughs> seconds and I want it to be him doing that. <laughs> and then I want, I want, I want it stripped down to an MP3 and I want it to be my ringtone. It's going to be my ringtone, my alarm. I'm going to make it a repeat. It's going to be a 10-hour loop on YouTube. <laughs> well, I hope I, I like to say some stuff that's like, I don't know. And I really hope in the future as like as my level of fame goes up that people don't take out the craziest stuff I say and they just are. make me look so Look at dumb. Joe Rogan. They have a I whole com- <laughs> compilation of him just saying the N-word. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, salam alaikum, all my Muslim brothers and sisters. If you're if you're listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. Any Muslim country, you wake up and they have you know the al- the al- the alarm clock at the mosque. <laughs> the Allah alarm clock. <laughs> and it's true. And, and and I as as someone who wants to wake up earlier in the morning but doesn't necessarily always do that. It was kind of nice. It was like I have no choice but to have this alarm clock. I can't ever hit snooze. I can't ever yes. uh, say you no can't to snooze it. The, so, can't snooze Allah. <laughs> You can't, and uh, so it was. It was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, hmm, what else? What do you else do you want to talk about? Shit. So, is that your favorite trip? Um. Ah. Mm, no, Japan was definitely my favorite trip, just because uh, of like the enthusiasm of Japanese people. Yeah. Japanese people, if you become their friend, and even if you're not their friend, they're willing to befriend you very quickly. Turkish people, like, uh, once they know you, as soon as you're their friend, they, like, bring you in. And and generally, in general, are extremely hospitable people. But in Japan, it was, it's just like, I don't know how to explain it. I, I get along with Japanese people really well and just, like... Uh, have a have a lot of s- spontaneous kind of like fun interactions, and uh, I am a big fan of Japanese food. So I was just like uh, engulfing myself in sushi while I was, was there. there. What was there any uh, great food in Turkey? Uh, Turkish people, please don't get offended by this Turkish people. I was low key slightly disappointed by the food that I ate in Turkey. I actually love Turkish food. It's not bad. But I had grand expectations for eating, like, the most delicious kebab that I would ever eat in my life. And by the time I left Turkey, pretty much everyone on the trip, with exception my Turkish friends, the rest of the crew was also feeling the same sentiment. They were a little bit disappointed by the food we had in Turkey. But I don't think we really took the time to, like, explore good restaurants either. Is there baklava in Turkey? Yeah, that's exactly where Turkey's from. Okay. Turkish food isn't bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I had really high expectations for it, and I maybe I just didn't go to enough of good restaurants. Yeah. What was your favorite food in Japan? Sushi, by far. I love was it sushi. Like, was it, like, really different than American sushi? Um, It's just generally a lot more fresh. It's just generally, yeah. and, and like, uh, one cool aspect about Japan is uh, their convenience store food is, like, pretty good like if you're hungry and you want to get some food really quick and you're on the run and you just you don't want to think about it too much here the equivalent of that experience would be like a mcdonald's which no offense to mcdonald's that shit is really bad for your body uh Mm. but in in japan they have you could just go to the corner store get get like a fish cake some rice stuff was there mcdonald's in turkey 
<laughs> there was. What did they serve? There? McDonald's and Burger King in Turkey are more like a luxury food. Because, oh, here was the, I can't believe I left this out. The best part about Turkey is how cheap everything is. Yes. Everything is ridiculously cheap. You go to a Turkey with USD, with American dollars, and you feel like a rich man. Yeah. Like, I was in Turkey, and the clothes were way cheaper. The food, I, I was buying water bottles for, like, less than 10 cents. Jesus. And I was eating, like, big... Fill you up sandwiches for like less than four dollars. Wow! And so you ain't doing that in Chicago. Oh, they're not doing that in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) I just went and got a cheesesteak today, and it was like fifteen bucks. I was like, damn. (laughs) But when I got back to Chicago and I had to pay seven dollars for a subway, I was like, man, this shit is (laughs) fucked up. (laughs) Because in Turkey, the food was so cheap. It was so cheap, and everything there was anything you could possibly think of, with the exception of like imported like a foreign stuff like alcohol was around the same price because it was most even if it was turkish alcohol because they want to match the price of like coronas and stuff like that yeah so so let's go back into light pong yes light pong let's let's talk on light pong now so kind of walk us through whatever you want to walk us through for for uh, light pong sure sure so about a year and a half ago after going through a whole debacle of uh, the you know period what year of my life that I faced the most adversity yes. in my life, which we could talk about. Yes. After coming out of that kind of, I joined. Uh, shout out to Akib Usman, founder of Light Pong, who I worked with before and then reconnected with after a few years. And uh, we started working with this other. I, I kind of joined it mid while it was going on, but it was still very early, and I'm still and I'm pr- very much on the founding team. Yeah, you and guys I'm a co-owner. Public. I have equity and everything, and so we're building the world's first quote unquote one dimensional game console. Yeah, maybe we can put up a quick video here because it's really hard to describe verbally, but it's this tube of LED light that plays games on the beam of light using two controllers and two buttons each on each controller. And what we're trying to do is take the experience of gaming, of electronic gaming, and the experience of play and make it more accessible to people who normally wouldn't have considered themselves gamers. Because these games are so simple and so intuitive, whether you're six years old or 60 years old or whether you've ever played a video game before, you can just jump into this thing and instantly get into it. So kind of like how you see a giant Jenga or some analog board game that people like a chess or something, but even chess and even and even Jenga, you might not feel like you have the Jenga skills or you might not feel like uh, you, you know how to play chess, but Light Pong has an array of simple games that you can, you know, test am i good at this and they're so simple you might just click it might click and you might be the next champion so uh it it launches in early 2023 we were supposed to launch in october we had to announce a delay but um i'm really excited for it because i i think games is a really easy way to get people involved together and with anything in life no matter what it is sports is a great example of this when people are involved in something together even if it has no technical meaning like if, if even if you're just kicking a ball as long as the people are really intensely involved it creates this magical experience 
And so if we can do that more with Light Pong because of how intuitive and simple and easy these games are, but that also have an element of mastery to it where you can become the fastest button masher in the world, which is one of our games. All it is is who can press their button faster called Beam War. It's kind of like Harry Potter or Kamehameha or just two forces pushing against each other in the tube and whoever can press their button faster, you push your light against the other one and then you win. And so, it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great description. It's a great description. I just know Aiden's the back there laughing. So that's why I started. That's my favorite game. It's the one drunk people get the. I most saw into. them play. I went to um, Ruben had his. Oh uh, yeah, the cash drop. Yeah, party. The, yeah, they had the cash drop party where they did like all the founders did their pitch and you know uh, how do you say his name? Akib. 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 You know, so he got. I, I gave my uh, ticket, my vote, my dollar to him. So. You know, I saw it. It looked dope. You know what I mean? I saw. I think him and uh, the Claude. I think they played, and it looked dope. Yeah, it's. I, I'm. Ex- I'm excited. And the coolest part about Light Pong to me is that it's uh, an open platform. Yeah. So anybody in the world, if they know how to code in Python, can make new games for Light Pong, mm. publish them to a public marketplace that you can. Uh, download from your phone and then you can constantly uh, upload new games to your light pong mm, wow. so it technically theoretically we'll see how far things can go based on people's creativity but you could theoretically make unlimited games on light pong obviously well, a how single, many games can you do so far our discord community has come up with f- 50 plus documented ideas so from like so 50 different ways for like the light to do to something make different? different games yeah yeah okay and there's like uh there's like train game and uh like memory pattern and like all, all uh a green red light green light th- where it goes it goes green and then you and then it's red but if you did it when it turns red then you go back to the start oh uh, okay so you have so you have to like risk it basically yeah. there's all these different ideas people have come up with yeah that's dope and uh, it's interesting so we'll see we'll see. and it could also be like a music visualizer you could put the thing on a wall and have it go respond to the music yeah. and with its own It's able lights. to do that? Yeah, it's able to do anything you want to program it to do technically. So obviously the core focus is games. Does the consumer program it? Like how would somebody yeah. of like my intelligence program something to... Well, you'd kind of have to learn how to code a little bit. What the so, fuck? <laughs> I mean, who, who knows how to... <laughs> so uh, going off that idea, a lot of teachers have reached out to us saying, wow, I could use this for introductory computer science courses because... Oh, okay. Unlike just a screen with text, when you code on the light pong, you can see the lights right in front of you. you go, bzoo, 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 bzoo. Yeah. So they think it would be a really engaging way to teach code, which I, I'm really excited about because there's this whole, you know, wave and trend of computer science being more and more necessary. Mm. So if we can integrate ourselves into that, I think it's even more of like a double whammy with where we're going. Yeah. So, yeah. Dope. So what's been your favorite part of pretty much kind of constructing everything and just the process of light pong. Well, I, I have a, I have a hand in everything, almost everything non-engineering. So I do a lot of like marketing community, um, branding, uh, stuff like stuff like that. And so, uh, putting a lot of thought and effort into building the community around, around light pong, who are going to be the future game developers, who are going to be the future like esports uh, kings of light and queens of light pong, who are going to be the uh, like people who 
influencers who make content using it. That's been really, really interesting for me to think about and reach out to all those people and kind of build hype around that. So by the time we launch, we have this whole pool of influencers and uh, game developers and content creators and da 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 who are ready to jump into the thing and make cool shit happen. Yeah. Dope. So let's go back to prior to you getting into Light Pong, the hardest adversity you had to overcome in transitioning into Light Pong. Yeah. Well, uh, funny enough, shout out to anyone who's who uh, has struggled with manic depressive illness, aka known as bipolar. For most people with bipolar, it doesn't develop till their early 20s. Yeah. And so technically, up until I was, what, 19, I didn't have it. I didn't have it, technically. And then out of nowhere, suddenly, I basically lose my mind, just like at, like out of the blue, there, almost like a there car There were some crash. triggers. There were some triggers, but... Uh, like, do you think it would have happened if you... Where you didn't have like any drugs in your system? If I didn't do all the if I didn't do all the psychedelics and shit I was doing, and if I wasn't like um there's various factors, but I I can't say I can't say for certain because you know a lot of people around me were also doing those same kind of drugs and as far as I was concerned, you know, nothing happened to them, so nothing was gonna happen to me. And uh kind of like a car crash, just driving, you're just completely yeah. like everything's smooth, everything's easy. And then you get, I before I knew it, you know, um, I had gone into this whole narrative that and this what happens with bipolar is your mania gets escalated and escalated and escalated until it can turn into a psychotic outbreak. Yeah. So I started acting hyper and unusual over the course of People think bipolar means you go from hot to cold really quickly, like, oh, they're a- angry one second and happy the next. What, what it works like more like when you're not on meds and you're just suffering bipolar like, the, like what's his name, Van Gogh did in the past with no medication. You go through these long, like six-month cycles of de- extreme depression and extreme like super flame. It's like your brain is on fire, super high levels of energy. You don't feel like sleeping. You don't feel like eating. You feel like you're in uh, like... You have a God complex. I thought I was the Buddha reincarnated. And then I went to a restaurant with my friends and I thought uh, people were after me and they wanted to, you know, like take advantage of my enlightenment. So when I got home, I thought someone was waiting outside my house who was like ready to, you know, get my ass. And I thought my parents were kidnapped. And so I, sp- I went to, <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's funny in hindsight. Yeah. You can laugh. You can laugh. Yeah, I apologize. <laughs> You can laugh. You can laugh. It's fine. And it gets funnier, bro. Listen, so I sprinted to the McDonald's and with all my might. I call 911. For some reason, it doesn't go through. Or maybe I just didn't give it time to go through. I thought they blocked my signal. So I, you can laugh too, Aiden. So I got to the McDonald's. Boom, burst in there. I said, someone's trying to kill me. Someone's trying to kill me. And the McDonald's manager was like, sit the fuck down, bro. We'll figure this out. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I was just like freaking out. So the next dude that walked through the door, I just couldn't risk it. I was literally like, as much as it was in my head, I was having a real experience as yes. if I was certain that my life was in danger, yes. which is really odd. And so I was like, I couldn't take the chance because I thought this next guy that walked in the McDonald's was part of the, who was going to kill me. So I jumped over the counter, like behind into the kitchen. <laughs> 
And the manager goes, bro, get the fuck out of my store. And he has, he's big as fuck. So he grabs me, starts dragging me out by the body. And I, I, but I don't want to die. So, and when you really don't want to die, some other kind of like human instinct just like unleashes within you. Yeah. So as much as this guy was twice my size and way stronger than me, I grabbed onto the door frame with all my might and he couldn't pull me off of it. Yeah. And he was like, what the fuck? Okay, this shit is serious. So he was like, all right, bro, just just wait inside. And I, uh, my parents found me in the fetal position under the table. And then the cops showed up, six of them. I started explaining to the cops this long, strange story about how uh, like stuff involved involving race and and i and i was trying to help people not be become un, un, undo their racism and the cops are just so confused and then uh because when you're when you're going through this like psychotic outbreak everything seem feels like a sign and everything makes sense in your head but it's all just like some weird shit and uh so my mom and this was a painful moment for me that i had took me a while to shake off but at this point it's also laughable she drags me by my finky pinky outside of the mcdonald's while the female male employees like heckle me like they all laugh at me they're like mm. <laughs> and she's just dragging my ass out by the pinky and uh so i thought after getting out the hospital and uh, uh that, that i i didn't know what happened like I, I couldn't i couldn't understand why it happened and it just made so little sense to me that my brain kind of went into shutdown mode slash I entered the depressive cycle of bipolar, which can often happen after a hospitalization. And for months, I just slept the days away. I didn't take showers. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go anywhere. I was af afraid of myself. I hated my family. I just slept the days away. And then one day I realized like, man, it, many months had passed by. You know, I was, I was broke. I had nothing to my name. I wasn't doing anything anymore as much as all the projects that I was involved in prior to this, which was really disheartening for me because from one moment, I feel like I'm on top of the world doing a lot of uh, media stuff. I had almost launched a co-working space. I was working with all these cool music artists and business people and it all seemed like it was going in a really positive direction and then suddenly like I'm an insane psycho and I have no money and I'm not doing anything and I didn't know what to make of myself and at one point I was like fucking man I gotta just get a fucking job so and this was peak COVID at this point um uh or no COVID just hit uh and uh what happened after that I'm trying to piece piece back. So, so you know, like t time went on, and and I thought, you know, yeah, I gotta get a fucking job. So, um, I went and worked at this nursing home on uh, Foster and it's near Foster and Kimball. It's called Fairmont. Shout out to anyone that I worked at at Fairmont because it's not the greatest job, especially in peak COVID when there was 80 COVID patients in the nursing home and there was several quarantined areas of the nursing home where you just can't go there because you're not allowed to. And the nursing home was such a depressing place. I remember I was elated to be there the first few days because I needed a job. Yeah. So I was just happy to have that job. 
I didn't care how grimy the job was. I didn't even look at it as that grimy, to be honest, because there were other people that uh, were working there that are also like, you know, good hearted human beings. And that's their only job. And I couldn't look at it as grimy because then because I feel like that's disheartening to those that I feel like that's a disservice to those people. But one of the first few days I was there, um, I remember walking by this room and this old and these old people look miserable they don't have really good tv the food that i was serving them i was in the kitchen the food that i was serving them was bad really bad and uh, i remember just walking by this room and this old lady starts screaming i don't want to live anymore i don't want it's like she was ready to die and i was like fuck (laughs) holy fuck damn um anyway then after that uh oh wow i'm gonna give you the full i'm gonna give you the full story and this is i don't think i've ever told any the full story like this ever publicly but fuck it because i don't give a fuck at this point so um slowly but uh, before i had gone crazy the first time i had had on daniel Poloski, the ceo of CoinFlip. are you familiar with CoinFlip? yeah it sounds familiar it was the fastest growing company in chicago back to back i think for the past two years and I had interviewed him and uh, I called him up and I said, hey, man, I, I remember you had uh, so you, so the last time I saw you, you said you had some kind of anybody can apply. Anybody can just join your sales as long as they can sell your sales program. And he was like, uh, yeah, man. He was like, if you if you sell an ATM, uh, then I'll I'll give you the job. I was like, shit, okay. And, you know, I got, I kind of started getting some, regaining some faith in myself. I went back into hustler mode and I sold two coin flip ATMs, aka Bitcoin cryptocurrency ATMs where you insert cash and then you get crypto. And a lot of people who like live in the cash economy use that and stuff like that. And uh, so I, I went to the office and him and Chris Dayrit, the CMO, were like, well, man, you know, I don't even think I really need to interview you because you, you sold two ATMs. So I think I think you got the job. And I was like, wow. I was like, I thought I was working for a really innovative company and da, 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 da. But I was yet to accept that I had bipolar. I didn't think I went through anything. They told me I might have had bipolar. I didn't believe them. I, ob- I wasn't taking any medication either. And so months go by while I'm at CoinFlip in my head on a super amazing mission to uplift the company and making cool relationships with all the other em- uh, employees and trying to learn about finance through them and befriending the actual uh, mechanics who worked on the ATMs and getting closer with Daniel and Chris and all of them. But as time went on, I started to act weird. And I was also abusing a lot of Adderall because I thought it helped me with sales, which is a whole other shit. But, uh, uh, and I was drinking like six Red Bulls a day and I was like, oh my God, fuck. Um, so as time went on and with anyone who has bipolar, please don't take Adderall, bro. Or, or that's my, that's my boy took. I have, (laughs) I have like voicemails when he was in his manic. So, and I I kept him because he ended up taking his life. So I got it. I got a tap for him. And, uh, it's definitely no joke. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't laugh to laugh at it just more so at the stories because i've right. been on the other end of a phone call where he's telling me like the clouds have lined up and jesus is here right now and everything makes sense and, and he has to move to california and shit like that yeah man like it's great and but he was smashing a bunch of adderall like every day like snort it take it like just take a bunch yeah. of adderall i was doing that at coin flip and I, I I was naive enough to think that no one was noticing, but eventually, like, the girl who serves food was like, like, you're looking like, you're not, you haven't been eating. 
And I'm like, what you mean I haven't been eating? I was like, you're bogus. I was like, why would you say that? And then the fucking one of my uh, coworkers was like, dude, he was like, he was like, lay, he was like, lay off the Adderall, bro. And I was like, and 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 uh, uh, okay. So as these months went by, the mania starts to like escalate, and I start acting weirder and weirder and a little bit more off. Even though I had developed a lot of great relationships with my coworkers, like the salespeople would tell me, Matt, having you on our sales team brings us so much more joy during the day. Like we just feel happier to be here when you're here and they meant it, but that doesn't dismiss the fact that I started acting really strange. And eventually I had, uh, when it got really bad, one day I just had, I broke down and I had a temper tantrum. Like I was stomping on the ground. I started uh, crying profusely and like talking about how nobody understands me and all type of crazy stuff. And so, um, the next day when I came into the office, the CMO Chris took he he I remember it's, it was almost like a movie scene. I go to uh, put up my jacket and he's standing across the room and there's you know a lot of people in the office. He says, "Matt, come in here. Matt, come in here." And I say, "You're not gonna let me take put. You're not gonna let me take off my jacket." He doesn't say anything. He's just silent. And I stand there and I don't go and I don't walk towards him. I just stand there in this very like intense ten seconds of silence before I walk over to him. And then I go into the room and he sits me down. He's like, you know, Matt, uh, we have some really important bankers in here today and we can't afford to have you acting, acting that way. So I'm going to ask you to, could, could you, he, and he didn't even fire me. What he said was, could you go home and take a break and we'll see how you feel from there? I said, thank you. That's exactly what I need. So somehow, some way that day, I ended up losing my phone, my wallet. I don't, I don't know how I lost all this stuff, but the moment that I was dismissed from the office, as I walked home, I had none of my personal belongings on me. And I call it the great walk because I wa- I must've walked like 14 miles from the West town where their office was at the time to where I live in North park. And during that walk, I had all these crazy experiences that not only were real, but were also completely in my head. And so me reflecting on that day is one, still one of the most was bizarre the memories time you today. Went crazy? Yeah, this was the second time. Hopefully last time. Okay. Hopefully last so time. So only two times you've had like crazy manic <laughs> yeah, episodes. Yeah, only two times have I gone into these like psychotic episodes. And uh, now I understand like how to regulate it using medication and how to monitor my, you know, uh, behavior and the signs to look for after accepting all this stuff. And that took, that was his own process and very depressing. But, um, as I walked home, bro, like all this weird stuff that, uh, that happened, I remember, uh, and it just all seemed to connect even and like this real, st- I remember this, this wasn't in my head, but I was also, I was just like acting nuts. Um, I, I thought, I thought people were trying to shoot me and shit. That was pro- definitely in my head, but I really felt like it was going to happen. So I was like freaking out and like hitting random walls downtown and screaming. And at one point I tried to cross these bridge and there's some event going on or something. And the cops tell me like, bro, you can't, uh, you can't cross the bridge. I'm like, you know, they start asking a bunch of personal questions about me before they tell me that I can't cross it because there's an event there. And then I tell them, you could have just told me that in the first place. 
And then I walk away. And the moment that I walk away, there's this dude in a lion costume. This really happened. This actually happened. I know for sure because a lady took a video of it. This video is on the internet somewhere. I just have to find it one day. Literally a block away, I walk up to this dude in a lion costume and he's going, police, the police, police, the police. And I'm like, yeah, gang, gang, gang. And I'm in the, and I, this video is on the internet somewhere. I don't know where it is. I'm sure this exists. I know I couldn't have made that up. That was very real. There was other stuff that I didn't actually see with my own eyes, but I was assuming in my head, even I very certainly assuming in my head, but that stuff I know was made up, but this stuff I definitely saw with my own eyes. Um, and, uh, anyway, I walked home and I thought a lot of people were trying to kill me and all type of bizarre stuff. And I thought I was Jesus return and all type of crazy bullshit. And I thought since I was Jesus return that when I got home and it was the Trump versus Biden, uh, presidency on abc and i thought that the abc news correspondents knew and had gotten word about how jesus had come back and it was me and that they were talking to me through the tv at this point there's no way that that could have possibly been true so that was definitely made up in my head but i was hearing them like say stuff to me and i was referring to me as the future president and then by the time I woke up in the morning, I threatened to fight my father, even though he was really, really concerned for genuine reasons. I was like, I'm going to beat your ass. And like, when you're this manic, like you're not in your right mind. So you have to understand that like, I would have never have said or done this kind of stuff in my right mind. But um, anyway, then that's the point when my parents called the cops on me. And when the cops got to the house uh, and they found me... <laughs> I look at them and I say, no, I say, can I please just sit on the couch for 72 hours and no one bothers me? And they say, no, at this point, we got to take you in, man. And I was like, please, come on, man. I'm, I'm not going to talk to anybody or do anything. I'm going to meditate on this couch for 72 hours. And they were like, nope, nope. We got to bring you in. And I say, all right, well, can we at least do this cooperatively? And the female officers go like, oh, yeah, 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 sure. And the male ones are like, so I get up and I literally walk the cops out of my house. I'm like, all right, guys, come on, follow me. And I walk out the door and I go outside. I'm like, where's the ambulance? They're like right over there. And I'm just like, dun, 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 dun. and get in the ambulance. We drive off to the hospital. And when they uh, open the ambulance and let me out to go into Swedish Covenant, I start steering the wheelchair as if it's a car. I'm like, wee, and I think I, I don't know if this was in my head or if this actually happened, but I'm pretty sure I did hear one of the officers say this. They're like scratching their head. They're like, huh, this kid's kind of got a brilliant mind. And I was like, wee, going into the, <laughs> but then, um, and the mental hospital is an interesting place filled with all type of nonsense. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, as you can imagine, because every in every not a, every everybody in there is not in their right mind. And there's this one dude in there talking about how he's located like a Italian mobster who has like shipping crates of guns, and I believed him for whatever reason because the other dudes in the mental hospital were also like vouching for him and were like, yeah, yeah, this guy's the real deal, man. And, da, 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 da. and I was like, whoa! I, so I was like, all right, boss man, all right, boss man, and he he liked that when I referred to him as boss man. So I would see him in the hallway. I would go, what's up, boss man? And he was like, <laughs> and then like, I remember, <laughs> I remember they brought me some food once to the, to the room and, uh, I ate this banana and I started flinging the banana at the window and saying, I'm the banana peel ninja, bitch. Hiya! And throwing, and, and they were like, man, this guy is something else. And I remember uh, the nurses kept opening the door and looking at me and I would mean mug them. 
one of them goes, he has a problem. And I say, and then I just burst out. I said, I love bad bitches. It's my fucking problem. And yeah, I like to fuck. I got a fucking problem. And I, and I was just off the walls, man. It was some other shit. The mental hospital is like another kind of experience. I remember one time, because I still was in like, I'm some like divine king kind of thoughts process. Yeah. So I put the towel that they gave me and I made it into this big headdress. And I walked outside of the room and started walking around very confidently with my chest out. And one of the nurses, looks at me he says oh you look like a king and I said no 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 I'm just a regular man I'm just a and he goes oh just a regular guy eh and then it's just all these weird interactions so how long were you in the mental hospital <laughs> oh a week or two a week or two yeah it's it's generally be the they I remember they put me on Zans they injected me with uh I was so I had so much energy that they literally injected me with anxiety juice like into my jugular and I still wouldn't go to sleep and like all but then after a week of like uh heavily medicating me and all that stuff i kind of like stabilized and then and then um i was like man because it, at some point it starts to feel like a, like like jail like after a week you're like damn can i please get out of here and you just keep asking the doctor who you know admits people out like please can you test me again to see if i'm okay because i really want to leave and then eventually like they dismiss you and you get out and uh Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's nuts, dude. It's nutty stories, right? I feel like anybody listening to this or watching this might think like, one of my deep fears is that me being this like vulnerable and open about this kind of stuff will have people think that it could happen again and that I'm somebody they need to stay away from. But I'm, I, I'm pretty confident that like you could look at Kanye, for example, here and there, he does some wacky stuff because I, I, I assume that he doesn't really feel like taking his meds because at some point it feels like oppressive on your own system or people around you trying to constantly monitor you makes you feel like a patient that feels annoying. So you kind of want to break free from that. But generally, if you kind of consistently take your meds with for people who have bipolar, uh, Landon, our good friend of ours, Tristan, Tristan and my, our good friend Landon, he's good friends with a guy named Andy Dunn, the founder of Bonobos, a menswear brand that sold to Walmart for around $300 million. He has bipolar, and he wrote a whole book called Burn Rate. Yeah, I got it. Uh, you do? Yeah, I'm supposed to get yeah, it on the podcast. It's, it's oh, awesome. Yeah, it's really insightful. I, I was listening to the whole audio book that he reads himself, just nodding my head going, yes, yes, yes. It's so accurate. So if anyone wants to understand the experience of bipolar, or especially how it is trying to be an entrepreneur with it, Burn Rate is a fantastic book. But uh, similarly to Andy... My second hospitalization only happened a year after my first one. His happened 16 years after his first one. Yeah. But for both of us, by the time we got out of the hospital the second time, we had to come to terms with what was going on, mm. that it wasn't an anomaly, that it wasn't a one-off thing. We had to check ourselves and figure out what's really going on here. And for both of us, it was accepting that we had this condition and having to learn as much about it as we could. And since then... I've been pretty. I've been pretty solid. I. I. Uh, it was really tough for a while to accept that. I. Ha- as far as I'm concerned, until someone figures out something new, that people with bipolar have to take meds for the rest of their life. I'm just worried about the long term effects of the meds. I am as well. But uh, yeah, I am as well. I just. Can't, I, I've. I've. I've done everything in my power to try and find an alternative solution. Yeah, I'd rather I have hate my big friend. Pharma. I hate big pharma. Yeah, I agree. Fuck big pharma. I agree. I agree a thousand percent. Rather have my friend back. You know, in, in regard to him just getting on meds and staying on his meds, you know, um, 
but at the same time, I do worry about the long term effects. But I, I, I do see that the meds do at least stabilize. I think I'd rather keep 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 the people here, and so you don't get too deep into your head and, and want to leave leave this place. So yeah. we, you said you needed to leave at six. No, I actually I, I have a call at six thirty. But so do you want to keep talking for a little bit or? What's uh, so I I gotta head out here soon. Okay, so cool. Yeah, yeah. I, but oh, right. I, I do want to plug six. you in. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm not too hard on it. Uh-huh, you know what I mean? Okay. So I, I'm flexible. But uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, I could mention exit the premises. So I'm a part of a hip hop collective in Chicago that I met when I was a teenager called Exit the Premises. They're from out south, out west, up north. We're from all over the city. And I met these guys when uh, they were making music initially. And I was kind of involved in the very early stages of my businessy entrepreneurial career. And so I was like, guys, I'll be your manager. I'll be your brand manager. I'll be your like business uh, support system. But then one day I was like, can I be in a music video as a joke? And I still remember the very first verse I ever made that I made on this video. I said, <clears throat> I said, Russell Swift might get knocked out. Chief with the fire, call it a cookout. Your bar's so dry, you could call it a drought. And I'm having some doubt that you down for the account. If you having some doubt, I'd like you to announce. Stuff so good, count it up by the ounce. Blah, 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 I'd ask you to pronounce. Some of y'all try to keep it low-key. Switch up emotions with emojis. I would call that straight baloney. Super duper squad day one, homies. And, and, but I, I, I'm saying that with the little, with the little kid accent, kind of, because yeah. it was, that's how it was. So, but I brought that uh, to school. And then people at school, my homies were like, hey, you low-key raw bro it's low-key decent so then i started making music and at first it was trash like most art is when you first make it yeah. but it started to get good slowly but surely over time and then you know some these people because we were so supportive of each other's creative careers these came became some of my closest friends uh so shout out etp you know gang gang that's the homies that's the guys so shout out to them love it that's extra premises this is matt smith where can they find you? Where can they find your friends? Where can they find your businesses? What all do you want to plug in? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. That's the, my most active social media. It's at nonstop, N-O-N-S-T-O-P dot Matt, M-A-T-T. Uh, at Exit the Premises, at Play Light Pong on any social media. Uh, and my new podcast that I launched, The Intersection, if you look up uh, The Intersection pod on YouTube, youtube.com slash intersection pod or uh, the intersection pod on Instagram. And please shout out mental health. Please don't be afraid to get help and don't feel in the process of you needing help. You're in the midst of getting help or you got help and you're recovering and you're having a successful two years, 16 years, 40 years. and, And maybe you're struggling with thoughts or being accepted and you don't want people to know that you've had crazy stories like Matt. There's people out there that are good people. I'd like to consider myself one where it's like I'm not going to judge you off of your past experiences because despite me maybe not being bipolar, I don't think anybody's wrongdoing is worse or better than somebody else's. You know, so I think uh, you know, make make sure you're you're uh, one surrounding yourself with the right people, but two, don't don't be ashamed to get help and and build a circle that that cares about you as a human being. So shout out shout out to mental health, you know what I mean? Don't don't be afraid to reach out to somebody. And shout out to the Adversity Kings podcast. And shout out to cats and dogs and turkey. <laughs> keep, keep living it up. And keep shout going. out Beyond Wood. All right. <laughs> <laughs> shout, out, shout out Symmetry Wood. Uh, shout out Beyond Wood, a.k.a. Beyond Wood. All right. Peace out, guys.